welcome to the Open Table Collective Podcast. My name is Danny Cox, and we are just so grateful that you would join us today. In a couple of minutes, I'm going to have a conversation with our spiritual director, Nicole Wilson. And today is an exciting day for us because this is the first episode of our podcast. So you are here. You are here on the maiden voyage, and we thank you for that. You know, we've prepared the vessel. It's in the water. Now we're just going to kind of push it out to sea and see where we go. And to be honest with you, we have no idea. We just have hopes, we have dreams, and we have a direction that we know that we want to head in. So we want you to go with us to see what we'll discover on this journey together. The Open Table Collective is an organization that came about after many years of prayer and thought and contemplation and conversations and spending time as a leader as well as a pastor in a large evangelical non-denominational church. And it was a beautiful space, a lot of years of just wonderful things, but at a certain point in time I could really feel the ground shifting underneath me and moving and a desire in my heart for a different kind of community. And so this uh, this podcast is about talking about those things, about faith, about wrestling with our faith, about what we see in the world, what we see in each other, what we see in God, and how we can go out and be a community that is rooted in the well-being and flourishing of every single human being. So that's, that's our dream, and we're going to try to curate conversations. We're going to try to curate spaces and places that are what we call courageously receptive, where we can take differing ideas and wrestle with them and hopefully come out the other end with more of God and potentially more of us or less of us. I don't know. I don't know what that means, but welcome to the Open Table Collective. Pull up a seat. You belong here. Let's wrestle together and see what we find. Here we are at the very first episode of the Open Table Collective podcast. Pretty exciting. Yeah, it really is. And I, I just can't believe that we made it to this point. It's exciting. It's been a long time coming, a lot of years of talking and dreaming. And yeah, so sure to actually be sitting here doing this is um, a gift. It is a gift. And I'll tell you what's not a gift is uh, the table. Now, you're listening to this, but you have to kind of imagine we're downstairs in my recording studio. It's the best place we could record for now. And of course, I felt like we should be at a table because it's the Open Table Collective. So I wanted to be at a table with you, but we don't have a table. So we're going to put a picture up on our website at theopentablecollective.com because you should see it. But right now I feel like Will Ferrell in the movie Elf where he grows in the north when he's sitting in the little chair. I mean, this table is a little end table. It's the only thing we had. It, it looks ridiculous. You see, I... I'm only five feet tall, so I think it's a lovely right. table. It, <laughs> you it fit fits perfectly. me perfect. I, yeah. I belong on kindergarten size furniture. There you go. See, I don't. So, uh, But yeah, it's fun. Well, we thought today would be a good day to actually just tell a little bit of the journey of the Open Table Collective, how it came about in your heart and my heart, and how those kind of converged together. And so uh, I think that's good just to tell a little brief, brief journey of how we ended up right here, because I know for me... In 2012, it kind of started to really birth and started to open up a little bit. And then 2000, I think it was, was it 18, 19, whatever, the, there was a training that we did. I think it was 18, almost five years ago. Both you and I were involved in that. And that started to birth it even more. And, and as that's birthing in me, 
that's happening to you in a similar time frame, maybe, or yeah, that's what um, figure in the the 2012 range. That's when I was really working with a lot of LGBTQ students at Wayne State. So being more aware of that um, population's desire to be seen and heard, and then in the training in 2018, really thinking about what it meant to leave academia and and start looking at ways to help people connect to God. Yeah, because you were a professor down at Wayne State here in Michigan, right, or Detroit area. Yes. Right. I was I was a teaching, uh, I was not a full professor, so I always feel like it's important that yeah. I <laughs> disclose that, but I used to run learning communities down there. Ah, yeah. I look at you as the professor, so... <laughs> But yeah, I think you and I have very interesting parallels to why we've gotten to this place that we're at. And so I think it would be good to just share a little history. I know even, you know, probably five years ago, we, you know, we had this great desire to create a community where souls were being cared for in a new way. And and you and I just were brainstorming because I was in ministry, obviously, uh, at a large church for almost 22 years. And so as you're walking alongside people, you see the the issues that parents are dealing with, that students are dealing with, that your community is dealing with. And the church isn't everything. It's not meant to be everything. You know, we're not a psychologist, couch, a psychiatrist. We're not, you know, all of these things together. We're not a hospital, but we can connect so many people and we can really care for their souls. And so I remember having just beautiful conversations with you about what would it look like in this place that I was part of leading if we could really create a soul care initiative. And so and that was something for you that was starting to really birth in your heart. And that's what you're leading at the Open Table Collective. Yeah, I I didn't have the vocabulary for it back then, but I was aware that the longer that you are on a journey with God, you're, you reach certain touch points, you reach certain milestones. And the church doesn't always know how to care for people who are at some of the tougher crossroads. And so I know that um, in those years, I felt like I was kind of in these really rough patches and I didn't have anyone to help me navigate those. And as I got through them, I've really had a heart to help other people when they're at some of those crossroads on their journey. Yeah, yeah. And and that's what I felt too. There you know, you hit kind of a, a wall and and so I started dreaming about something and I was just calling it a wellness center for years and I was trying to explain it to people and they're like it doesn't make sense. And I'm like I know it doesn't quite make sense, but there's something there. It's a place where people can go to find out who they are, whose they are, what they're designed to do, you know, just really a place that uh, is a place of well-being and flourishing. That was the the two phrases that I would just kept holding on to. Is that there's a place that people would find well-being, a place that they would find flourishing, and it would be for every person. That there would be any barriers to who could be a part, who could belong, who could not. Where sometimes in the church setting, uh, we've both found, and for good reasons at times, of of course, that that there are limitations to certain groups of people, and we wanted to have a. We just had a great desire to create a space that there wasn't these limitations. Uh, anyone could come through the door. Anyone could be part of it. It is Jesus-centered, of course, and uh, I, I my whole life is Jesus-centered. Yours is too, so it's, it's not like we're moving away from the person of Jesus, but we wanted to create a different kind of environment where people could come in and, and really find flourishing and well-being in the person of Christ and in their community. Yeah, I... 
you because of my professor history, you know, I have a tendency to get nerdy sometimes. But the, I like that though. Get the, nerdy. <laughs> but I think, you know, um, I think back to the Reformation and even when people were challenging some of the norms and whenever we have more access to God's word, all of a sudden more things get opened up to us. And sometimes the powers that be want to erect more barriers because they're scared. Mm. And I think nowadays with the way that the um, original manuscripts have been digitized, as you give more people access to the Bible, there's a temptation to put up more walls and more barriers as people have more access to information about God. And I think that when we think about caring for people's souls, that's one of the things that we want to do is say um, we're going to push into an abundance mindset rather than a scarcity mindset. Right. And and barriers are always a reaction to scarcity. It's an interesting point as far as having access and uh, yeah, yeah, and the instinct to fear the unknown or fear the opening it up something wider. And in recent years, I've just said, boy, you know, if we really believe that Jesus is the living water, the bread of life, that anyone that eats at his table, anyone that would drink at his well would find real life. He said it came to bring life and life to the fullest extent. So why would we ever erect a barrier in front of anybody or between anyone and God or between us and anyone if we really trusting that God is really what he says he is, and we do believe that's what he is. So to us, it's creating spaces and places, conversations and environments where everyone can enter in and start to wrestle with their faith, wrestle with God. And of course, you know, anytime you get close to God, you're never going to stay the same. There's going to be transformation. Uh, but it's not our job to to worry about the outcome, and that's really what we've been trying to set up places like this where we can talk about these issues or talk about these topics and and wrestle with the idea. Yeah, because we want to be courageously receptive. We keep using that phrase, and I think it takes courage to hear somebody who previously was behind a barrier, and so to get that perspective and that new position and um, sometimes it takes courage that we might not want to tap into, but again, it's that ability to to think about an abundance mindset and to take all of that in and receive. Yeah, and I think your your background and uh, in, in a little bit of what you told me about some of the, even the barriers you saw in faith communities when you were young, when you were a child, I'd love to hear a little bit, and I think everyone would love to hear a little bit of the journey. Like, what, what, what was your faith journey, and where did you see, even for yourself, a barrier that you hit pretty early on? When I was a kid, I grew up in a, um, a really community-centered church. Like, it was, it was really—the whole community pitched in, and so it was, was really lovely. And then—but um, at that church, women weren't allowed to do anything. They were or oh, wow. any. There were no speaking, no teaching, no sharing. Everything had to be filtered through their husbands, um, their brothers. Women had no voice, and um, I think I've always known I had more of a voice than than people wanted me to have. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so when I was a teenager, I really was like. I want to be a pastor. And people were like, um, what? no, yeah, girls, <laughs> girls are not pastors. I could be a pastor's wife. Um, but was that said to you? Oh, multiple times. Yeah. Oh, wow. It was like, just go find a pastor to marry as if that's like, you wow. can take out a want ad. 
<laughs> girl who would rather be a pastor, please marry me so that I can like whisper in your ear. Like no man wants that. Wow. Um, and thankfully my husband is not a pastor, so it's all good. But, um, and so then the other option to girls was to be a school teacher. And so I was like, well, I, <laughs> well, I guess I wanna, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. If I want to talk, I guess I have to be a teacher, wow. which I mean, I loved the years that I spent teaching and I, in really teaching is what, what brought me to where I am today because the thing that I loved about teaching was interacting with my students, hearing their stories. And so that's what sent me on a path to pursue um, seminary education for spiritual direction because it's it's that merging of those two things that, that God put in me when I was a little kid, which yeah. is to want to help people on their journey with God, which is what a, a pastor's job is supposed to be. I know that a lot of pastors have a lot of other hats they have to wear, but the desire that the thing that was in me as a kid was that I wanted to help people on their journey with people on their walks with God. And so the beauty of my spiritual direction training is that, um, it's a field that's open to everybody. And, um, it enabled me to learn more about my own journey and then learn how to walk with other people. That's great. And we hear, and I've heard for years that limitation on women, which is just astounding because you have a culture that is empowering women in different areas. And then you have the church who, Really, in reality, when you look at Jesus' life, he empowered so many women. They were such a big part of the ministry, yet at times, within the constructs of the Western you know, church, and particularly the Western Evangelical Church, and particularly the Western Evangelical Megachurch, um, that can be very so limited. And you see uh, women fighting so hard for space, and it doesn't make sense to me at all. I, I understand the theological idea of complementarism, egalitarianism, you know, one, one where... Uh, you know, the woman is, for lack of a better word, a compliment to the man. He's in second place <laughs> to the man. The man's in charge. Um, and there's limitations in the church because of that. And then the other one, egalitarian, which I obviously both you and I are very passionate about that. Uh, I understand that there's theological differences, and this podcast isn't to break that down. Maybe we will do one in the future on that. I think it would be really good. In fact, I've been talking to Carolyn Custis James, and she's just brilliant at presenting. Uh, some of this stuff, but, you know, we really felt like in this environment, there's just no option other than to be equal. Let's walk side by side and let's, I need you, (laughs) you know, men need women, women need men. We need your perspective. We need your gifting. Uh, We need how you're uniquely made and wired and we're make a good team. And so I do think it's uh, equal. It's not you're not just a compliment. You don't have to marry someone to be a pastor. <laughs> it was just so crazy to me that you were told that. When you, when you start to talk about barriers to belonging, inclusivity, diversity within a body, and the intercultural idea of not just cross-cultural, multicultural, but intercultural, a a community that is empowered when they sit at the table. Whoever is at the table uh, is empowered to bring who they are, and that should, in effect, uh, shape what that community is like. And in order to do that, you have to receive from people that you may not understand, you don't understand their background, you don't understand their culture, you don't understand their ethnicity or their journey, 
but you're at the table and you're trying to courageously receive them because it is so important for us to be able to have the widest lens possible to see the full scope of who Jesus is. We're never going to see the full scope of Jesus this side of heaven, but we, we need others around us to help us see. And so if even walking with you over the last few years and hearing your story and walking with many other women, hearing their story, so important for me as a leader and a man to be able to go, oh, whoa, I need your lens. I need what you see. I need how you approach Jesus, how you approach people, how you approach community, how you approach scripture. So different. Yeah, and it's like when you were saying before, the egalitarian mindset that we're all equal, it's not just that you and I are equal, but that we're also equal with everyone else that we encounter. Because as soon as we start creating a hierarchy, then it's a slippery slope. To use oh, the no, trendy, trendy slippery slope language. But it. <laughs> it's um, when we when we don't see people as valuable yeah it becomes a way that all of a sudden we start strip mining ways that different people can be the image of god Mm. and i think that when we truly say that we believe that everybody is made in the image of god then we have to believe that even their um, quirks are somehow letting us see a glimpse of who God is. And when we start making that a hierarchy, we're cheating ourselves out of that robust view of God. Yeah, and sometimes in organizations we need hierarchical kind of systems, but it's, it's really what we're talking about, I think, is, is a mindset, it's, it's what Paul says in Philippians 2. He's like, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider every single person better than yourself. Have the same mindset as Christ. It, that, that, just that alone, if we just parse that out and say we're going to live by that little statement, we could use that for the rest of our life and still not do it. And so even in structures where one person is considered a leader or you know, it needs some kind of leadership structure, the mindset is so important to say what you've already established. Well, and I think that mindset enables us to accept the limitations that we have. So I'm gifted in some things, you're gifted in other things, your wife is gifted in other things. You know, we all have different gifts and talents. And so in an organization, different people wear different roles, they lead different initiatives, because they have different strengths. And that doesn't mean that somebody's more valuable as a human, because they have those gifts. It's that we appreciate that it's the body of Christ, those passages in Corinthians, where we need all the pieces. And when we value each gift that somebody brings, it helps us see other people as is more valuable than ourselves because we value the gifts they bring and the way they show us Jesus. Yeah, it's good. I mean, that's a challenging environment to (laughs) create. You know, we've been talking to some people around the country about that idea of how do you create a different leadership structure apart from what we have seen or experienced in certain uh, aspects of the church. And 
you know, you're never going to build a perfect machine. There's just no way. Every organization is going to have its flaws. We're flawed human beings. We understand that. We're not trying to create. We're not trying to tear anything down. We're not trying to. I, I, I really don't believe in, and I, I don't think you do either, but I don't believe in the idea of deconstructing. I'm always thinking, who am I to deconstruct anything, let alone the beautiful church that, is, you know, that God gifted us? I don't really believe in the deconstruction, but you and I have talked a lot about the disentangling. Like, how do we disentangle some of these ideas of, you know, men and women of different uh, ethnicities and different races and different political ideas and all of the things that are kind of what I think has just been twisted around the person of Jesus, whether it's nationalistic thinking or capitalistic thinking or Western mindset, all these things that we're talking about. How can we disentangle those and lay those out and look at them as... I don't know, neutrally as possible, and then try to catch maybe a little bit clear or purer view of Jesus and the good news that he came to bring. I mean, that's, that's, I think that's our mindset that we're trying to figure out. Yeah, and I think that's the, the beauty of the wrestling, right? That it's sometimes when we're tangled up, it gets a little messy and it feels a little wrestly, but Wrestly. Wrestly. I like wrestly. That's, I'm going to coin new <laughs> words. So, wrestly. But, um, but just that idea that we know that this is messy, but to your point, we're not trying to hit it with a wrecking ball. We don't want right. to destroy everything. We want to sit and say, where are the different pieces, the different threads? How do we pull on these threads so that we can can see the through line of Christ. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I can't help but think of my journey as, uh, you know, when I think of where I'm at today at, you know, X amount of years old, and then where I started in my teens, early years, you know, we grew up Catholic, so, and I, and I loved a lot of the Catholic Church. In fact, in one of my classes in seminary, they the assignment, it was called the theology of beauty, which I was so geeked about because I think there's just power in beauty, and we do too. I mean, that's one of our values. But this assignment that he gave us was think of your childhood and identify two beautiful things mm-hmm. from your childhood when you were like five or six. I can't remember the, the how old we were supposed to be. And so I closed my eyes, and he's like, don't overthink it, just whatever comes. So I would say to you listening right now, like close your eyes for a second, not if you're driving, but just, you know, metaphorically close your eyes and think of a couple things from your childhood that you would deem as beautiful. And so I closed my eyes and the two things that came to me was my mom's long hair (laughs) and the Catholic church. And my mom had this hair that just was all the way down, you know, past the, the bottom of her back. And I don't know why it just, it, I always liked her hair, you know, as a little kid, you'd, you'd play on it or whatever. And then the second one was the Catholic Church, and I, I and I, I so I wrote about that, and I wrote about what it looked like when I would take my dad's hand or my mom's hand, and we'd walk this long hallway or <laughs> this long outside stretch where all the stations of the cross were every four feet or something, and it was kind of scary because my head was in eye level to to these things, you know, and. And those stations of the cross can get pretty intense. And mm-hmm. so I would grab my hand and father's hand a little harder and push closer. And then I'd walk into the vestibule and they would dip their hand in the water and make the sign of the cross. And then I would try to do it. And then you'd walk in and, you know, you see the candles and you'd hear the creaking of the pews and the stained glass and the sun coming through. It was just this beautiful image. And then we'd sit down and we couldn't talk. 
<laughs> you couldn't engage. But you look up and there's Jesus on the cross, and it was the crucifixion. It was intense, and I've always I've said this a number of times before, but as a little kid, I would I could just see his eyes following me the whole time. He like he knew everything bad that I did that week, you know. <laughs> but it started to formulate what is beautiful about our faith, who is the person of Jesus, and my journey from there. I just had this great desire to know truth and to know Christ. I, I really loved God from a very early age. And then and then I wandered away after high school, and I got into being an artist, and I started to work with so many different people in so many different religions. And that's where it started to open up for me and started to study Buddhism and Hinduism, Sufism, Course in Miracles, all these things, atheism, uh, objectivism, the Ayn Rand stuff, all of that kind of thing. And And then I came back to Christ. And so... It was fascinating when I look back now that all of these people that I know and that are my close friends and are so in different religions and different contexts, I have such a passion to pull them together. And also, as an artist, I got really close to the LGBTQ. So my friends, my family, people that are so important to me, they were an integral part. I mean, in fact, it was the it was the gay clubs that would actually let me play my music. Nobody else would hire <laughs> me to instead of that, you know, and it was only them in, in my late 20s. So I just became really close to that community. So coming back to faith and then all these years later, it's no surprise to me that I'm looking back thinking, how do we create a space that every single one of those people who are my friends, my families, and our neighbors can come into and discover the power and the beauty of God, of Christ. And how can we do it where no one is limited inside of that community? And that and that's a big ask. It is a big ask. But I think it's also it's such a it's a beautiful dream, but it's also I think it's hope. When we think about what hope is, and it's this idea in Hebrews where it talks about, you know, things that we haven't seen. And we haven't seen these barrier-free communities, but yet I believe that all of the pieces of my journey and all of the pieces of your journey, if we offer them to God, they get used. And so oftentimes we think that we have to purify ourselves of these pieces of our past that Mm. we were like, no, I have to scrub that away or pretend it's not there. But I think the cross is messy and it's dirty. And Jesus invites us to offer all the messy and dirty parts and all of the pieces that are like, this confused me or this upset me or this has a ring of truth to it, but it's not you. And I don't understand it. And when we bring all of those pieces to Jesus, they become their own stained glass window. And Jesus mm. just puts them all together. And I I have hope. And I believe that when we bring Jesus all these <laughs> smashed barriers that we w- want to offer, that Jesus is going to turn it into something really beautiful. Yeah, I have this. I mean, I'm, we're praying for that. And you know, we're hoping that's <laughs> going to be the case. Um yeah, I, I, I really pray for that too, and I desire that because we've seen so many times where 
uh, spaces and churches will say everyone's welcomed, everyone belongs, but then behind the That's scenes, <laughs> right? Well, it's not, it's it's more of a half truth. I mean, I think I think churches do desire people to, to to create welcoming spaces and to have places of belonging. The problem is uh, if there are secret theologies or secret beliefs, meaning they're not fully public, and there's limitations. So for for our family, because we have family in LGBTQ, because uh, even my own kids, um, because of that, what happens is there. I know there's barriers to belonging for that community, and I know that there's space. There's going to be a point in time to say, well, okay, so we really didn't quite tell you everything, <laughs> but you know, you can't X, Y, and Z, whether whatever it is, a, a place to serve. Uh, marriage, baptism, baptizing your, you know, dedicating your kids, there's going to be a limitation. And one of the images, and I wish we could somehow show this right now, but we're going to have to tell it. But one of the images that we hold on to is essential to what we're doing is this thing called kingdom circles. And so imagine that if there's a kitchen table and there's four of you around it, and in the center of the table is a big dish of something, you know, we're going to call that the kingdom of God, you know, big platter of something great. And then there's your dishes around it, the other four dishes. And what we really would, you know, Jamie Winship, who's a good friend, brought this in 2012. This is one of the things that opened my mind up, especially working alongside the LGBTQ plus community, which I've been doing for over 10 years. This was something that I was like, oh, this is it. This Kingdom Circles idea is here you are at this table. There's these plates around the big plate in the center, which is the kingdom of God. And each plate identifies another you know, what Jamie would say, an earthly identification. So let's just say LGBTQ, Christian, let's just say Muslim, Jewish. And the mindset that I sort of was trained in was the idea of, okay, you know, Muslim person, when you denounce all of your religion, when you move out, you know, of of your religion and culture, and you come to my plate, we can now go to the center plate. You know, we can go to the kingdom. LGBTQ, if you become ungay or you become straight somehow through therapy or you do X, Y, and Z and you come to my plate, we can go to the kingdom. And Jamie said, no, we don't see it that way. He worked in the Middle East for a lot of years. We don't see it that way. What we see is here we are as followers of Jesus and Jesus-centered people. We know the direction towards the kingdom, and so we just invite people to walk with us. And the outcome of that walk is not our, is not our business. We just say, we know a way. Would you walk? And so what we've been saying is the Open Table Collective is more rooted in the Great Commandment first rather than the Great Commission, meaning we want to walk with people and we want to love God and love others first. And the Great Commission, we believe, will take place as we walk with people and we start to walk towards the kingdom. Is that Hopefully you can visualize that where you're listening. It probably wasn't the greatest thing, but at least we have an idea of sort of the central picture of what we try to base it off of. Yeah, and so in light of that, you know, that's sort of a central image that we use for the Open Table Collective, and that helps us use, really have one of the key values that we're talking about today, which you've already heard, but we'll just say it again, is no barriers to belonging. That's one of the core things. But there's there's really about four core components, or what would we call them, columns that we're sitting on. No barrier for belonging is one, but what are the other three? 
the idea that we would have a gracious posture so that we're willing to be listening to other people, care about what they have to say, and that we want to have a deep and wide formation. So the things that you talked about, like the beauty of the Catholic Church, and I think about the beauty of the way that people um, have followed Jesus for centuries. And, you know, we tend to just tap into the way that people have talked about God for the last 50 years, but there's centuries of different practices that people have used. And so to be able to to look back and think about how those can help us journey closer to Jesus. And then the fourth one is holistic justice, which I know is one of your passions. Oh, yeah. I, and that's that's a tough one because uh, I was talking to a number of people over the years, and there's such an interesting thing about the word justice. You know, there's this argument about is it is it social justice? Is it biblical justice? Oh, there's a difference between the two. What is it? You know, and people start taking camps in those areas. We really want to be rooted in holistic justice, which means that we want our hands and feet. It's not just coming out of our mouth, but our hands and feet are doing the work of justice, which means that we're trying to actively bring heaven to earth. You know, we're trying to actively uh, right the wrongs that we see around us and be tangibly the the light and uh, of Christ in our area, in our community. And that that I'm surprised in the last few years how divisive that idea has become it's heartbreaking it's it's unbelievably heartbreaking and it makes no sense to me at all uh that that god is fully rooted in justice um i mean it's it's what is is one of the scriptures in michael 6 8 that says this is what god requires to do justice to love mercy and to walk humbly so that whole idea of justice is something we want and we want to grow in that what does justice look like uh, what, do, what what aspects of that are we called into? But holistically, we want to we really want to commit to that and not be shy about it. Yeah, and I know that we'll do another podcast where we talk sure. about these things. But I think too, just the beauty of knowing why we need a gracious posture so that we can learn about justice. Like all of, the thing that I love about these tenants, columns, pillars, whatever yeah, right. we want to call them is that they really are interconnected. You can't pull one of them and they're very egalitarian. Like we need all four of them yeah. in order to have the other the others. Yeah, and there's a group of friends around the country, newer friends, different kind of churches. We all are sort of bond together with with these tenants and we want to hold on to them. It'll make what our churches and our community, if we even call it a church or community or whatever you want to call it, organization, it makes that say, hey, this is what we're about, and this is the kind of things that we're going to hold on to. And so uh, I think it's important. I think it's important to define those and to hold on to those. One thing I wanted to mention about the gracious posture, because I loved what you said about it, the other aspect of it is if you have a gracious posture, you're kind of hands wide open, then we're willing to say, we're going to let our faith evolve. Meaning we're, we're, we're not claiming to know everything. And that was the one aspect of the particular community I was involved in, was there was just a level of certainty in certain areas. You just couldn't have a conversation because it was already decided long before anything ever happened. And at that point, 
you think, man, I want to press into some hard ideas, hard scriptures, parts of scriptures that seem to not line up, you know, aspects of thinking that doesn't seem to line up, whether it's taking the Bible literally or figuratively or metaphorically or historically. Be, I want to be able to talk about that. I want to be able to wrestle with that. And, and in order to do that, there has to be a gracious posture. There has to be this humility to say, okay, this is what we know now, but we know that there's always more to God. And so let God help us evolve. And I think evolving, it could be like a swear word in the, in the, <laughs> you know, the evolution of your faith, but I do think it's true, right? I mean, my faith has evolved as yours. Yeah. And I, I would be horrified if my faith hadn't evolved. And I, I think most people, if they're honest, will recognize that their faith has evolved over time, but there are still, I like what you said about they're not, we want to eliminate the taboos. Like we want to allow our faith to evolve holistically. Like I think that there are certain things where we're like, oh yeah, my faith has evolved in this category, but we don't give ourselves permission to let our faith evolve in, in a more nuanced way. And so we, we like the word nuance, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. but the idea that you know, that we can explore difficult questions and have enough curiosity that we don't have to, and we don't have to tie everything up in a bow in 30 minutes. Exactly. Yeah. And enter into the mystery of God rather than, you know, we've said this phrase a number of times, but God and people are not problems to be solved, but they're mysteries to be embraced. And I'm a mystery. I know my wife's a mystery. I know our kids are, you know, our, our community is. So yeah, that that is our desire. Our desire is to create a barrier-free environment for every person to come close to Christ, that we have a desire to walk with people, not necessarily win them. You know, I don't want to have an agenda, uh, behind-the-scenes agenda before I ever meet somebody. I want to enter in and walk with them and have our faith evolve and be, you know, discovered as we go, step-by-step, to have a gracious posture in that and to really uh, fight for the things that we can change in this world, rooted in the person of Jesus, like justice in the person of Christ. And I think all of those together, like you said, are, are such uh, rich and important uh, aspects of who we are and what we want to create and walk into. So, yeah, so that we really felt like this was the way to open up the first podcast. Let's just tell a little bit of our background a uh, little bit of the kind of core tenets that hold the Open Table Collective together or boost it up, you know, support it. And then tell a little bit of, of our dreams. And I think both you and I have great dreams of how we can provide spaces and places that are courageously receptive, that we can put people in a room that may differ, but kind of teach how we can relearn the idea of critical thinking and also relearn the idea that we don't have to be polarized uh, that if we don't agree on everything, we can still be united around the person of Christ. And I think we've lost that in culture, uh, mm-hmm. big time. Yeah. And yeah, and so we want to have these kind of conversations virtually. We want to have them in a community, you know, and we also want to have offerings that will help people through all of these kinds of areas. So that's our dream. This is just the baby first step. And this this is our first episode. So there you go. So I was wondering if, Nicole, you could... Pray for us as we as we close out our first our first episode. Holy God, I thank you for your faithful love for us. I thank you that you pursue us uh, 
and that you invite us to wrestle with you. And so as we enter into these murky waters, we ask you to join us and to guide us and to allow us to know you more. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for pulling up a chair to the open table. We look forward to you next time. See you then. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for pulling up a seat at the Open Table Collective and wrestling with faith. Uh, We have so many dreams and hopes and direction that we want to move in with all of you. So, hey, sign up. Be here every time we have an episode come out. We'd love you to pull up a chair and listen with us. We'd also like to interact with you. So you can go to our website at theopentablecollective.com and send us a message. You can also sign up for our texting option too at 248-422-0082. And we won't blow up your phone, don't worry, but we'd love to stay connected. Well, until next time, I pray that we live courageously, we receive well, and we experience well-being and flourishing, not just surviving, but thriving. We'll see you at the next Open Table.